That's better. It's good. What's <laughs> well, I'm uh, glad to see everyone that made it uh, for this afternoon or this uh, second service that we have. And uh, a little bit of a lengthy reading that I want to uh, give to you today. All right, there's my notes. 14 pages of notes. And if Will keeps messing with my notes, it'll go to 15 pages. Anyway, let's take the Bibles and let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. One of the things I discovered a long time ago is that the things that I write down in my notes are, are a guideline, not necessarily going to be the direction that I always will follow after. I have two opening texts, and today's title is called A Peculiar People. We are called a peculiar people, and there's a reason for that. But let's go down to verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 10 uh, of Deuteronomy chapter 7 as we get started. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites and the Gogesites, and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them and show no mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make any marriages with them. Thy daughters and thy, thou shalt not give unto their sons, and his daughter shalt thou not take unto thy son. They will turn away thy son and follow, from following me, and they serve other gods, so will my anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and destroy thee suddenly. But thus shalt thou, excuse me, but thus shall ye deal with them, and shall deliver their altars, and break down their images, and cut down their groves, and burn their, Im their graven images with fire. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set, thee, set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for you were the fewest of all people. And because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he has sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the house, hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face, to destroy them, he will not be slack to him that hateth him, he will pay him to his face. Now let's go over to First Peter, and let's go to chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1. And we're going to go down to verse 12. 1 <clears throat> Peter chapter 1 and verse 12, and we'll go down to verse 21. Everybody there? And it says, Unto whom it was revealed, that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost, sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, and 
and be sober, and hope to the end of the grace that is be brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust of your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so ye be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, Be ye holy, I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, uh, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, forasmuch as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your conversation, received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, have, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. So this morning as we <clears throat> turn our attention to the word of God, I want us to think about this. What does God expect of his peculiar people? Now, I know that we're not a great big congregation, and sometimes, folks, we find that when there are great numbers of people that are joined together, they don't really know what they believe. I remember many years ago that I had uh, gone to a particular church. I went to a particular church, and there was a great number that was there. And as I was listening to the preacher, never at one time did he ever talk about the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And it began to perplex me why this person would shun speaking of Jesus Christ in a very real way. And I began to ask some questions about it, and someone made this statement. Well, he's afraid of offending people. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. The Bible which we hold to so dearly is an offensive book. The Savior that we hold to so dearly is an offensive Savior. You see, the Lord wants to... We don't do it. The first thing we find is that we try to shun our and I've got news for you. You may try to walk away from God. You may not try to walk with God. And i got news for you. Eventually, you will be brought back into his fold one way or the other if you are truly his. But that causes us an issue. And I want you to think about this for a moment. The issue of the church and the standard that God keeps and the standard that the world puts upon the church. This is going to surprise you. Do you realize we cannot perform a wedding in this church? Um, think about this for a moment. I cannot legally administer a wedding unless I have state approval. But do you realize that even in a wedding, that if I'm going to hold this, even whether we have it in a church building or whatever, my name goes down where the clerk of court is supposed to be. And by the way, do you know why we have weddings? So they know how much taxes to charge you. That's the absolute truth. There, and the other thing is, a church has to deal with the wedding issues one way or the other. Here's the other end of it. How many of you know that we cannot administer a divorce in this church? The divorce cannot be handled in a church. It has to be in a court of law or by a lawyer or whatever. And yet, here's a church, and they suddenly have to deal with a divorce issue. Now, I don't, I don't bring this up to, to try to shame anyone because you all know my particular status as well, and I've had to deal with this in my own particular life. 
But I do understand this. God sets a standard for his people. Now, I can't impose simple that we are not using just Christian jargon or Christianese. There's an interesting video that um, one of my kids sent to me not too long ago about uh, the Christianese conversation. Oh, we were just slain in the spirit, weren't we? Oh, we had a great time in the Lord and the music. this morning, it has to come to a determination of what understand about Jesus Christ. We are living in a time where people are pushing against us, and they don't want to hear about it. Now, this is not a Christmas message per se, but I want you to get this. This time of year, people are so spoke about. Spurgeon even made this statement, whether you want to worship Jesus Christ or not and his birth of this December the 25th, that is up to you. And I'm paraphrasing what Spurgeon said. But if I can use one
I know, Lord, that many times I pray that these things will be for your glory. And I had the opportunity just to pray upstairs for just a moment with Will. And Lord, I pray that even in the simplistic prayer that I offer up, in the presence of these children, that they might understand that I am invoking the power from on high to intervene in this message, to lead me and to direct me, to help me to understand and others to understand that hear this message, that I'm not speaking of my own self, but, Father, the need of others. Bless us, Lord, as we study together, and help us in all things. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. If I had my druthers... I would do away with this camera today. I would take us over into a sidebar so any questions could be asked. Not because I'm that intelligent, but because the simplicity and the need of this, of this book, of this message, is so real. As I was putting down my notes today, the first thing that came to my mind was, what does the Bible have to say as to this church? Now, I read to you about Deuteronomy, and in Deuteronomy was a great charge that Moses gave to the children of Israel. Already, all and would not go into the promised land who had escaped out of the land of Egypt. Their children were now getting ready to go forward. They were getting ready to march. And they were following after the Lord, and again, Moses is pointing out to them, beware, beware, beware. Beware that you don't do things right. And as I begin to listen to all the public, and I want everybody to hear this right now, where do you think we are at? Where do you think we're at? Do you think that we are really a, a strong congregation, a ready congregation, or are there things that need to be improved? If you will, we're going to leave our place here in the book of 1 Peter, and we'll come back here in just a moment. But I'd like for you to go to 1 Corinthians, and let's go to chapter 1 for a moment. And I want to show you something that I don't know that you have ever seen before. Perhaps you have, but that's okay, one way or the other. The, the Apostle Paul, now understand, this was to a real body of believers. This is written to Grace Missionary Baptist Church as it was written to 1 Corinthians or the Corinthian church long ago. And listen to what Paul says. I thank God, beginning of verse 4, I thank my God for the Listen to the other verses that said, and grace will lead me home. It is the grace of God that surrounds us in everything we do. And I wish I could instill this in every young person. I wish I could instill this into every young adult and even the older adults. But look what else it says. 
that in everything you are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when Paul he says, this is where you are Then Paul goes down to verse 12, and here's what he says. Now, on this last week when we were talking about the Lord's Supper. This is the place of unity. When we come around and we enjoy the Lord's Supper, this should be the place of unity. And normally, it should be one that was dismissed because there was the disunity that that was in him to leave. And you know, when we are around this Lord's table and we're looking at each other, nothing should break our heart more than to have a disunity and not have the joy of being fellowship together. Many churches that, I've done this before in the times past, before we begin the Lord's Supper, I will ask the questions, do you all have odd against a brother? I remember growing up the heartache that my family felt because one person decided to take a vendetta against my own father. And you know the, the pain that a church instills upon people and they want to do it in you know such a righteous, pious way. It brings destruction and it brings heartache. And you know, here's the thing. We've been joined together because the fact is is that we love each other, we care about each other, but we are fragile to that nth degree. That fragileness can occur everything from within the body to our families and everything in particular. And so Paul says, I see this fragment. And because you're not settled on where you are in He talks about a young man who has his father, his father's wife, and he goes on even into the Lord's Supper, how it's being done incorrectly. All the next thing we see 
is not here, but the fragment of ourselves, even in relationships. Turn with me, if you will. Let's go back just for a moment to First Peter again. I told you we'd be back here. And this time, I want you to go to chapter 3. And I was reading this not too long ago, and it's a lengthy reading, but I want you to see this. These are the words of the Lord, not my words. And I want you to think about how much we should take care, even in prayer. Look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Now, who is them? Your wife. Do you realize a woman is a very complicated creature? By the way, ladies, this is sign language for amen. Okay? Oh, go ahead, Jamie. You can do that right now. I'll let you. All right? So here's the thing. <laughs> a woman is a very complicated creature. Men are not so complicated. And the way I say this is that, you know, there's a statement, the only difference between men and boys is the price of their toys. We, we never really grow up. We like to experiment. We like to play. But think about how complicated a woman is. The moment that she is born, there is a special ingredient that is instilled in her. I, I, I watch this little one right here, and I see in her something very special. How does she interact with, with me? How she'll interact with Greg? How she'll interact with her uncles? And everything about her is that sweet little innocence. But then as she gets older, she becomes that young maiden. And then she'll become that young bride. And then she'll become the young mother. And then she'll become, you, know, you, you get the picture? And every path along the way, she is a little different. There's a, there's a movie called My Fair Lady. And one of the songs in that fire in My Fair Lady goes like this. Why can't women be more like me? Why can't women be more like me? So a woman... It says in verse 7, men, husbands, dwell... see, there should be such a sweet connective tissue in prayer time that when you are joined together with your when we're doing our devotions. God, help me to explain even the simple processes of your word to my spouse, to my daughters, to my children. Finally, be all Thank you. 
in baptism doth now save us, not by the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of, of God. Angels and authorities and powers have made subject unto him. Now you say, Brother Prater, why did you read all of that? As I was putting my studies together and as I was considering this, I thought, I don't want my prayers to be hindered in any way. I have every opportunity to pray in my job, and so do you. Whether you are retired and you have neighbors that are nearby, do you realize that sometimes people just want to hear a prayer out of you? They just want you to pray for them and pray for others. I worked on a man's house the other day. And as I was working on this man's house, he, he was talking about the difficulties that he faced. And I said, how can I pray for you? And I, I just felt like I had to pray with him. And he said, just pray that I don't return to what I used to do. You see, that young man's just recently out of prison. Help me to be on the straight and narrow. And I put my arms around him, big old strong black guy, and I began to pray, God, just be with this. And you heard this man's request. Wouldn't it be wonderful if he come to know Jesus as such a personal Lord and Savior that he was not ever enticed to go back to what he did? I prayed with another individual during the week. And I asked him, was there anything special that they needed to pray about? And all along, I had this one individual that was with me, my co-worker, who watched and listened to everything that I did. And as I began to pray, it never occurred to me that he was listening to every word that I was saying. And his statement was, you pray so sweetly. Do you realize that if we know Jesus Christ and we're in constant communication with him, it's not hard to pray? How many of you all find it, and don't raise a hand, but how many of you struggle with prayer? Prayer should never be a struggle. It should be something that is easy to say, Lord, I'm not really able. Help my weakness, Lord. Help me to pray. Help me to love my brothers and sisters. Help me to love the one that is before me. Help me to reach this individual. And a little bit later, this same co-worker that I had said, would you pray that God would forgive me of my sins? At that moment, and I said this earlier, that was the ripe opportunity to share with him Jesus Christ. Now, here's the hard part. <laughs> I want to take my big steam shovel and just dump everything upon him. But that's not God's way. I want to show you God's way, and this may blow you away. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. And if you know John, chapter 3, you already know what I'm talking about. In John, chapter 3, we find Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. And here comes this Pharisee. And, and you know, history tells us that Nicodemus was a very rich Pharisee. And he was a master as a Pharisee. People came to him with any kind of questions. From Galilee, matter of fact. 
Look at what it says in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi! Did you, how many of you all have ever read what Nicodemus said? You know what Nicodemus was doing? He was trying to butter up Jesus Christ to accept him as he is. Is he not? We know! The reason Jesus came to Nicodemus was because Nicodemus professed said that his name. I'm sorry. Do you realize what the world needs is to hear the truth about Jesus Christ? Not how good you can live because you can't live good. You need the good master to the lost world. What? You know, Here's the world which we live around us that they're constantly pushing back, constantly pushing back, constantly pushing back, constantly pushing back. Judge not lest you be judged. How can you do this? How can you say this? How can you expect this? But the reality is, is if I can get him to open up to me, or if anyone that I talk to, if I can get them to open up to me, they can say, well, I trust in Muhammad. Really? And why did he come? When did he declare that he was the man of God? But let me tell you about Jesus. He was born righteous. He was born holy. He was born without sin. And he went to the cross in the same exact way. The second question is, why did he die? If Jesus died purely as a martyr, we are in bad shape, folks. 
But as we just read, in all the passages I just read, it said that he came in righteousness and he said, I go for the, to the cross for you. Isaiah 53 says, Upon him all of our transgressions were laid. Upon him he took our stripes, everything we deserved. And I can see that noble Jesus, as he laid upon the cross, and he stretched out his hands, and the agony of the nails being driven into his hands. I can somehow see a smile upon his face as he says, I did this for you. I did this for Mike Prater. I got you right here. I'll never let you go. It says in Isaiah 49, he goes, I have engraven thee in the walls of my hand. When he died upon the cross, I was with him. And he paid my iniquities. He paid all of my wrongdoings. He paid for all my sins. And you know, this is something the world doesn't understand because they're saying this, what is sin? And sin, very simply, is anything that separates us from God. If I choose life over Christ, I have committed sin. If I choose not to believe in Jesus Christ, I have committed sin. If I do wrong, which is against the law of God, I have committed sin. And I'm in darkness. But when Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, He didn't just die for the sins up to that point. He paid for all my sins. And the beauty of it is, is someday I shall stand before Jesus and those arms are going to be like this. It's going to say, come here, son. Come here, son. I want to collapse in front of Him and say, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. He goes, I made you worthy. You see, that's the beauty of salvation. The beauty of salvation is not what I can do for Christ, but what Christ did for me. And that's what brings us into the unity of the brethren. And if we see the unity of the brethren, then here is the place we want to be. I, I love that Randy made mention this morning of Brother Randy Coffey and why he couldn't be with us today. Brother Randy, if you're listening, I'm thinking of you too, brother. I'm thinking of you and Brenda. And anybody that can't be in our services today, whether it's Reba, whether it's Brenda, whether it's you know, any one of those that cannot be here, Barbara or whoever it may be, I want them to know that my heart is for them. And I'm thinking of them. That's unity. The next part is this. As we see the day approaching, I want you to turn with me, if you will, to the book of Hebrews. And you can say, Brother Prater, you've already used up your quota of verses. You ain't seen nothing yet. In the book of Hebrews, let's go to chapter 10. And as I was putting my notes together, I came across this particular thought, and I, I could not let it go. Probably didn't even write it down, but that's okay. I want you to see what it says at the beginning of verse 25. Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, Hebrews 10, 25, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you, 
How many of y'all need to be encouraged right now? I do. How many of you need to be encouraged? You see, courage is one that we're ready to take the charge. Encourage means we lift up those that are weak. I'm weak. I get to stand up here every Sunday and prepare messages to deliver unto the congregation. But then I, I think about this. I'm going, Lord, how many times have I failed you? And I failed the community. You see, there's a community out there that needs to know about Jesus Christ. We are all And yet, what did we do to bring them in? And what did we do to receive them? We did nothing to bring them in, but Christ, I believe, sent them to us for just a short period of time. And the reason that we need to be encouraged by each other is because as we see the day approaching, we're also going to see wickedness approaching. For if we willfully, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful look, looking of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. I've had people ask me, they said, doesn't that say that we can lose our salvation? It doesn't say that at all. If you'll notice at the end of verse 26 is a comma which says verse 26 and 27 have to be come together. How many of you all would want to stand before the Lord if we commit wrongdoing and see his grimace? But how many of us want the grace of the Lord? That's what this verse is about. You see, the Jews were so used to having someone look down upon them and look at them with such a concerning look. They thought, I surely can get away with this. But when they come to know Christ, they came clean. They said, Lord, I can't do anything without you. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much more sore punishment suppose ye shall be thought worthy who hath trodden under the foot of the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an holy thing, unholy thing, and hath done despised the Spirit of grace. For ye know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. I could go on. But the reality is, is that if I am to understand what this church needs, then I have to understand what this world also needs to see out of this church. Listen to me. I can stand up here every Sunday and say, you know, go out into the world, tell others about Jesus Christ. But what happens when they come through that door? Do you realize that this is the this place. What well, there's not too many of you, but we are united together in Christ. Well, what, there's, not, there's not a great joy best we can, and the Lord loves our music just as it is. And we have met together to have the Word of God opened up 
so that we might learn greater unity, greater joy, and greater service. I will draw this sermon to a quick close. But more than anything, God has made us a special people. I mean, if you'll feel special. When Brother Peter, you just tore us down. I didn't tear you down. Now, I want you to feel encouraged because Christ is in us. He lives in us, and he will keep us by his grace. And everything that he does in this church is for his good and his glory. How many of you believe that? And if we ever get to a place we don't feel like this church is doing enough, then ask yourself this question, what are you doing for this church? Think about that for a moment. I've had to ask that myself. We're going to be dismissed in a word of prayer, and afterwards we're going to have Brother Randy come up and lead us in song. Lord, now thank you again for this message, and I pray that it's exactly what we need. Help us, dear Father, to be faithful unto you, and let us rejoice in the salvation that you alone bring to us. Lead us and bless now, and forgive us of all of our erring ways. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy.